Well, good to be with you at church as we um, start three weeks. We've been talking about uh, a, a couple different things these last three weeks, but uh, mainly direction. What direction are we headed? Um, the direction that God has us, the direction that God's calling us to, uh, and who are we becoming? I think it's important to, to look back the last couple of weeks to see where, how we've gotten here. Uh, so the first week we, we looked at this idea and, and realized that the decisions that we make, um, big and small, right now, today, um, affect our tomorrows, right? Uh, the decisions we make today affect who, our outcome of who we will become um, tomorrow. If I went down to the uh, Air Force office, which we heard that the, the Air Force is looking for chaplains, by the way. Scary, right? If we went down to the Air Force office and became a chaplain, like tomorrow my life would change, right? The decisions I make today um, will affect my tomorrows. And we quickly came to the understanding that we don't make good decisions all the time. And all the people said amen, right? Uh, that we need help. We need God's direction. Um, we need God's guidance when we make decisions because if left alone, I'm going to make some pretty bad decisions um, in life. And so we ask the question, what is God's will for our life? What does God want us, want for us as his people? And we came to the understanding from 1 Thessalonians that God cares more about the who we are becoming rather than the what we're going to do. The who comes first right? If I am who God wants me to be, then I can more easily step into what God wants me to do. The who uh, is what God's concerned of, and the who is that we might be holy, that we might be set apart fully for God, that we might, uh, we might serve Him only. We, we, we would be God's people. God cares about the who before the do, and so we hit a pause button and we ask the question of the decisions I'm making and the, and the ways that I'm going. And in that tension, um, the things that I'm doing, who will I become if I continue to follow that path? Who will I become in, in a year or in two years or in five years if I continue with that habit or with that thing, important thing we just don't think about very often. And we're thankful um, that God's preventative grace was active that day, calling us away from paths that lead to destruction uh, towards himself. And so um, we moved from that place, from that pause, uh, and then came the next week and asked the question, if we've gone down the path that leads to destruction, if we've gone down the wrong path and we, we've come to a crisis moment, maybe that first week was a crisis moment where we realize we're not where we want to be, where we realize the who we are becoming is never who we intended to be, and we're, we're maybe knee-deep in sin, we're just on a place that we don't want to be, where do we go from there? How does God move in our life? How, how does God act in our life? And instantly we went to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 where uh, we were given this, this image that there are two kinds of sorrow. There are two kinds of grief. When we come to these intersections where we realize we're not in a good place, it's a pretty like hard place to be, right? But there's two kinds of grief or sorrow that we uh, can participate in. There's a worldly sorrow that leads to death and destruction. And then there's a, there's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leads to Jesus and leads to life. And so we uh, opened our imaginations and we were shaped to understand what that might look like. 
Remember, the worldly sorrow had to deal um, with, with everything that was horizontal. It had to, mostly had to deal with us, right? Like worldly sorrow is, is where we come up with those stupid apologies, which I've said them so many times, like, oh, well, I'm sorry that you were hurt, right? Like that's not an apology. Husbands, hear me. That doesn't work. <laughs> Believe me, right? But that we, where we realize that we're more concerned about the me, I'm more concerned about how my sin or the way I've gotten to this place is going to affect me and how people look at me. And so it has a little bit to do with the people around us, but mostly it's just this horizontal thing. We talked about worldly sorrow is more interested than, or more interested in, in, in taming sin and kind of control, controlling sin rather than fleeing from sin or getting away from sin or putting sin to death. We gave that image of the YouTube video where the grizzly bear trainer and his little stick, and he hits the little grizzly bear, the little grizzly bear, the giant grizzly bear on the head to get it to sit, and the grizzly bear turns and tries to eat his neck off, right? And you gasped. You didn't gasp that time, right? But the first time, you completely gasped, and we were, we were surprised that the giant grizzly bear tried to eat his neck off, but that's what grizzly bears do, right? And so we, just like that, that grizzly bear trainer, we try to tame and control our sin, tame and control stuff that will eat our necks off, right? That will completely destroy us. We fool around with things that we have no business fooling around with, and then we come to a place where it's gotten out of control, we can't tame it anymore, and we throw our hands up in shock when it's eating us alive, and we ask, how did we get here? Right? We're not interested in separation. We're not interested in, 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 in putting to death that sin. We're interested in taming it. Worldly sorrow leads us nowhere. It brings no change in our life. It usually is based on emotions because we feel bad that we're in that place, but emotions fade and we find ourselves in the same place. So then we went to this image of, of godly sorrow, that godly sorrow gives us eyes to see our sin, that it doesn't just affect me and how, I, how I'm looked at or how I'm whatever, but it affects the people around me. And more than the people around me, it goes horizontal, right? It's not just about the, the, the uh, excuse me, I got that wrong. It's not just about the horizontal, it's about the vertical. It goes, basic outlays here, right? It goes, it's, it's about hurting the heart of God firstly. I can't hurt others before I hurt the heart of God. That comes first. That, that I'm not just sinning about against others to begin with, but I'm sinning uh, against God. So godly God, sorrow gives us eyes to see our sin. And because we've been given eyes to see our sin, we are moved by sorrow in that way. We, we come to know the full weight of what we're doing and what we're participating in. This sorrow leads us to a place of confession where it's not just general, like, I'm sorry, I'm just a big sinner, but I'm specifically confessing and I recognize that that sin has hurt the heart of God. It's hurt myself. It's hurt others around me. And my confession leads to hatred of the sin. You know, the, the Psalm 119 that we read this morning, I hate, I come to hate the paths that lead away. 
I come to hate the paths that, that bring about destruction. I come to hate the paths that destroy my life and the people uh, around me. Confession leads to the hatred of sin, and our hatred of sin, of sin paired with God's empowering and calling enables us to turn from our sin and move down different paths that from that place, God calls us forward. It's not just a, hey, repent, go and turn from your sin. It's a process. It's things that happen. It's, it's a place that God leads us to. And so we've been on this journey together. And so today, um, I want to ask and, and, and look at a different side of that, is if everything's peachy and everything's great, we, we come to this place where everything's awesome and, and everything's kind of steady and it's going well. And then this idea or this calling of the Holy Spirit leading us somewhere new or leading us somewhere different. And so if you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, we're going to go to Acts chapter 20. But one of our core values is, is that we are people that don't stay the same, Right. I don't know how it is possible that you would be a follower of Jesus, that you'd be following Jesus and, and growing in God's grace, and you stay the same, right? Uh, God continues to call us, to bring us to intersections where we give more and more uh, of our lives to Him. We open the closet door that we haven't opened in 20 years, and, and we give more of this, and we move in, in different ways, and so... What happens when God calls us to something more and maybe even something new or something different? And so uh, Acts chapter 20, um, we're going to look at Paul and Paul's words um, here. But Paul has been spending some time, uh, years in fact, with uh, a church in Ephesus. Uh, if you read the whole chapter and read the chapters around it, you come to know again and again that Paul loves these people. Right? Like everything's chill in this land. Uh, nobody's trying to kill him at this point, which is a pretty big deal for Paul if you, if you read Paul's account of his life. Like everybody wants to kill Paul at some point or other, right? So nobody's trying to kill him. He's not being, uh, he's not being uh, chased off. He's in this community. He's preaching and teaching. He's, he's living life with, with, with these people. He loves it here, but then God is calling him to something more or something new. And so church, hear the word of the Lord this morning from Acts chapter 20. Starting in verse 22, it says this, Paul speaking, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in the city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So this short passage here uh, of uh, the, this basically a transition of Paul's life. Uh, when I look at this, I think about oh so many transitions um, in, in my life. In fact, if we're following Jesus, I believe we'll come to this place over and over again. It's probably something we should get used to. And so we're going to ask the question, what does it look like? What is this process of God calling us to something new or something different? What does it look like in our lives as we follow Jesus? And the first thing I want us to notice, notice and see what it looks like is that Holy Spirit's prompting. 
It says, it says in verse 22, it says, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going. Right? Compelled by the Spirit. If you listen to any of my sermons, you know that I'm not a language dude. I didn't study Greek or Hebrew like Pastor Stephanie. There's not, there's not that much space in there, all right, guys? There's just not, there's this not there. But when we look at this, like that compelled word, like actually interests me a little bit. Because this idea that uh, the Holy Spirit is compelling me to do something, we just have that one word for it. But if we actually look back, we see that that word is more than just being compelled. It's almost as if it's, it's kind of a prison language. It seems that I'm, I'm being bound up or, or I'm being tangled up in, in the Holy Spirit's direction for my life. I'm wrapped up in it. I'm bound by something. I'm being pulled by something or drawn by something or captured by something. Paul's saying compelled by the Holy Spirit, compelled by, by God, I am going. I, last week, I was trying to give an example of you just go to the grocery store, and I meant to say like Albertsons or Walmart, but I said Paul's, right? Must have been thinking about donuts, right? Some of you don't know Paul's. You have not experienced the gloriness, uh, gloriousness of Paul's, um, but when we first moved here, um, we decided very stupidly to buy a house right next to Paul's. Right. And so I uh, and we lived here for a couple months. And then some of you, one of you, I don't know who you are, but one of you told me about Paul's donuts. Right. So we moved here. And right before I moved here, I'm going to be more vulnerable with you. I wasn't with the first year. I'll be with you. But when we moved here, I had lost like 50 pounds. Like I was like, 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 like back, like in freshman year of high school, probably eighth grade, more like it. Right. But I like I was feeling good and things were great. And then one of you told me about Paul's Donuts. And then I lived by Paul's Donuts. And so it took me less than four months, probably, from the time I found about the Paul's Donuts to, to get all that, that nice, comfy padding back on. But, right, so compelled. Think about that language. We're compelled. In fact, every morning, every morning, not just every once in a while, you should get a donut. Every single morning, I had to drive by Paul's Donuts. And there's a stop sign at that intersection, people. Right? And it was like this compelling force that I've just got to have the apple fritter that's the size of your face. Some of you are saying amen, and that's weird. Right? And you, like, do you know what that means? Like, that compelling, like, you just feel like you just can't, like, drive past the intersection. You are compelled by the whole, by the, the donuts, I'm getting mixed up here, to, to do something about it. So when we see that language, it's not, uh, maybe donuts is a bad example. It's not just the Holy Spirit would like me to. It's not just, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I should, I should make that, 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 that decision there, and that would, be, that would be, be good. It's a compelling, Paul says, it's as if he's saying, I love it here. I love you guys. I, I've been living with you. I've been preaching. I've been teaching, and, and I'm here, but I'm in a good place, but... The Holy Spirit has compelled me, is calling me. I'm invited, I'm, in, I'm drawn, I'm wrapped up by the Holy Spirit to go. To go to Jerusalem, to go somewhere else, to go somewhere new. And so when we're walking with God, we're following the lead of the Holy Spirit. We're going to come to places and spaces where, where we're going to be, have promptings of, from the Holy Spirit. 
promptings from the Holy Spirit. And they may be big things, like I want you to move to Alaska. Or they may be big things, like I want you to change your career. Or they may be big things, like I want you to do something very drastic. But, but we also recognize that they can be small things too, right? Like I want you to send a note to somebody or I want you to, 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 to call somebody or I want you to go and interact with this person or, or with that person. We're, we're prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something. We're compelled by the Holy Spirit to, to act in some way or to go someplace where we're wrapped up in the calling where we know that we're supposed to do this. You've been to that place? We're, we're in this place and space where God is calling us to something, something more, something new, something that's next. We know they can be big, but they can be small, but we are faithful with the small. The more faithful we are with the little things, the more faithful we can be with the big things. We don't ignore the, the, the voice and the calling of the Holy Spirit ever. We remember that we serve a God who has given us the, uh, the Holy Spirit, this constant companion that is calling us forward. And, and there are little things and there are big things, but either way we are called to follow. A lot of times these things that we're called to do call us out of our comfort zone and call us to take a step of faith. And we talk about the, the, a life of faith, but sometimes I wonder if we just think about it like just as life, right? Like we think, oh, uh, we're, we're living a life of faith and that means that everything's predictable and everything's good and I know what's going to happen next. But a life of faith is just that. We have to use faith. But God calls us to things that we can't all figure out. And so we come to our next step it is this, uh, uh, without a doubt, this this process leads us to this undeniable uncertainty, right? This undeniable uncertainty. When the Holy Spirit calls us to, to, to different things and places and spaces, and the Holy Spirit prompts us to do something, something that maybe calls us out of our comfort zone, and we step out in faith. But every time, if you're like me, every time you want to know the outcome, right? Like, if I do this... What will it bring about? Like, if I participate in this, like, how is this going to change? And, and what's going to happen? And, and I need the seven steps that I know that it's going to make this venture successful. I need long-range plans. I need it now. But there's this undeniable uncertainty. Look again at verse 22. And now, compelled by the Holy, Holy Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Not knowing what will happen to me there. I love how the message translates this. It says, but there's another urgency before me. I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem, and I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. I'm completely in the dark. Like, I've got some guesses, but I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. I think of uh, Father Abraham. You know Father Abraham. I'm not going to sing it all for you. Had many sons, right? Father Abraham, back before he was Abraham, he just he didn't have the ham yet. He was just the Abram, right? God called him. God called him and said, you know, go, follow me, come to the, go to the land that I, that I have shown you and I, and I will show you. Go from your country and your people and your father's house to the land I will show you. 
Now, if you read a little bit further, it does have some pretty incredible promises. I will make your name great. I will, I will make uh, you a great nation. But it doesn't give the details. It says, go, I will show you. It's this undeniable uncertainty. Yeah, every time I have a, a conversation with a, with a young kid or even with an older person about um, their calling to be a pastor, I like, have to really calm down, right? I have to, I have to like, think a little bit. Because I, I see in them uh, many of the things that I, I saw in myself is there's this excitement that God calls you and you want to do it and you want to get started and you want to make it happen and you want to go, 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 and you're going to go to college, you're going to do this, and then you're going to save the world, right? And every time I sit down with, the, with, with somebody that's, that's called, I have to uh, take a deep breath and I, and I have to, to watch the language that I use. Because it's important to watch the language that I use because I've lived that, right? Like I've, I've lived that journey and I know that it's not as simple as step one and step two and step three, right? It's, that is never how it works, ever. Right? I know the hardships of what it means to be a pastor. I know what it means to, 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 to bleed in a place that God's called you to be. Like, I know what it means to, 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 to be hurt and, and, and not be able to, to fight back. I know what it means to, to live this life. I've lived this life, but they haven't. And they've got the same excitement, excitement that I had and I do have, but I've just lived the life, right? I just, I just know a little more. I've been down the, the, the path a little more than, than they have. I know what it means to be a pastor, and I know it's hard, and there's a lot of pain, and, 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 and it's a difficult thing. A lot of people that I went to school with are no longer pastors. That's just reality. And so when I think about that, I think about this, this idea that if I knew everything, like if I knew what it took to get to the place that I am now, if I knew all the paths and all the places and spaces that God lead and all the hurts and all the hardship, if God just sat me down when I asked for those details and I said, I want to know where you're calling me. I want to know what it looks like. I need a 10-year vision, right? Like I need to know what this is going to look like. If I, if I sat down and there was a 10-hour role play of all the stuff that God would lead me to and all the things that, that God would, would empower me to go through and all the stuff that I was going to have to face, I'm pretty sure at that moment in time in my immaturity, I would have ran for the hills. I've got relatives in Appalachia. I can disappear. Right? I had to run for the hills, straight for the hills, because the truth is, I couldn't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth, right? Like if we if we knew the stuff that we would we would step into sometimes, if we knew where God was calling us to, if we knew the full and complete truth, rarely would we would we we continue in that path. The truth is, is something that we can't handle. God doesn't worry about our, our 10-year review. God's worried about us following him today. Don't worry about the 10 years. Follow me today. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And remember, it's, I've heard this many times. It's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. It is not a spotlight unto my future. Right? And it'll lay all that out for you because you would run. Right? You, would, you would run because who you need to be in the 10 years hasn't been shaped yet. 
It's all those little things. It's all that life lived. It's all those conflicts and all that stuff that God empowers you to go through that will shape you to become the who you need to be in the 10 years. It's an undeniable uncertainty that that we aren't going to know everything. God says, I'll lead you step by step. I'll leave you moment by moment. You focus on being faithful today. We want certainty. We want certainty. If we want certainty, without a doubt, God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That is our certainty. That is what we get. Paul says, I'm completely in the dark about what will happen when I get there. Undeniable uncertainty. And then step three of the process, uh, Paul comes to this place and, and we recognize and we come to this place, we're following the Holy Spirit and becoming who God has called us to be. And we're stepping down these paths where we are uncertain and we step out on faith. We've got to expect, we've got to anticipate resistance. We've got to anticipate that, that there are some things that aren't going to go right. We've got to anticipate that, that there will be some resistance to uh, God's movement in our life. Listen to Paul as he says in verse 23. He says, I only know, I don't know much, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What I do know is that every city and the Holy Spirit warns me that the prison and hardships are facing me. We anticipate resistance. In the mornings for the past couple of weeks, I've been reading through the book of Acts. And if you go and read it with, with these glasses on, with these eyes on, I, like the, the way and the reaction of the people that, 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 that are, are being ministered to, that, that are hearing the gospel for the first time, the reactions to them um, that, that are opposed is just fascinating. Like go through and read and see how uh, see how some it says like in many examples it says some Jews followed and others Jews didn't and they stirred up trouble right or, or li- listen to this chapter seventeen it, this is an example of that others Jews were jealous so they rounded up some bad characters love that it says bad characters from the marketplace Walmart and they formed a mob and then they started they started a riot. They gathered up other people, bad characters. They formed a mob and they started a riot in the city because of Paul's preaching about Jesus. In Acts chapter 21, so I'm going to skip you ahead a little bit so you can see what he anticipated comes to reality. It says the, the whole city was aroused and people came running out from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple. And then it says, a little bit later, it says the whole city of Jerusalem was in uproar. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were the resistance in which Paul was facing in this time. It's predictable. Paul knows that there will be resistance when we do what God, what Jesus has called us to do. Without a doubt, God, know, God knows that we will face resistance. There is an enemy, Satan, in spiritual warfare. It is a real thing. People are going to be mean, and people are going to be nasty. And for Paul's case, prison is very likely. Stop to pause for a moment. We've got angry mobs in prison and being drugged from the temple, and yet here I am with hurt feelings because somebody made fun of me or they didn't like me. You need to toughen up a little bit, church. 
if we want to be used by God, we better be anticipating that we will be faced by opposition. Every time we take a step towards God, we have an enemy that wants to steal and kill and destroy us and doesn't want us to take those next steps. Wants us to stay the same that we are or or, or digress or, or, or to walk away completely. But remember, when you're in these moments that you cling to Christ, the victor, the conqueror of sin and death, the one who has conquered the enemy. And Christ does not call us to something that he will not empower us to do. You have that spirit prompting. You step out in faith with that undeniable uh, uncertainty. And now you anticipate resistance knowing that it will come. But in those moments where you're tempted to block everybody out and, and just to walk away, may you instead cling to the grace of God, knowing that this is normal. I anticipate this. I knew this was going to come. And so I'm further ready to, to rather than close off, to open up to God who loves me. To open up to the Holy Spirit and say, I'm struggling with this temptation. I'm going to walk down this path. I'm, I feel that, God, would you lead me away? May your preventative grace steer me clear. May, may you hold me in the midst of this opposition that God is with us. May we remember we see this resistance in the church all the time. There are a couple of different examples uh, that, that we see it in often. One of them is uh, different, bigger next steps within the church. So one of them is, is membership. We had members coming to the church today. And the other is baptism. So people uh, you know, go through the membership class, they, they, they go through the baptismal um, preparations, uh, and it's great, and everything's awesome and good, and then you, you come up on the stage in the baptism, and, and you, you, you follow the resurrection and the raising of Christ in the waters before the church, an incredible moment. Right, and then, or the other one is is church membership, where we um, again declare that we are, we are in this together. Right? We live this life together. We welcome you into the church family. It's a big next step. But sometimes what happens is we take those big next steps and we bring people into membership or we baptize and then we never see them again. Like this happens. Like they've vanished. You call them up on the phone. Hey, what's going on, Jimmy? Sorry if your name's Jimmy. Right? What's going on? Oh, nothing. I'm just busy. Oh, okay. Well, is there anything we help you with? No, I'm just busy. Yeah, they just disappeared. They never come back. You take this big next step, and then they face resistance. They face opposition. They they face temptation over and over again. And and maybe if we fall into it, we feel the shame, and we never want to go back. And because we've we've broken that vow, there's weirdness. We see it all the time. And the instance that I hate the most is um, with marriages. So everybody knows that marriage is hard. Right? If we, if we didn't, we, yeah, marriage is hard. And so we come to crisis and we come to places where it's just very difficult. And so um, there will be a crisis or something happens. And so the couple will come into the, to the church office. We make ourselves available. We say, come, you know, we'll, we'll help you. We'll do whatever we can. We'll, we'll pray with you. We'll talk about this. We'll come up with a, with a next steps plan. We're not counselors, but we'll, we'll, we'll put you in the right direction and get you hooked up with the counselor that you need. And it'll be good and it'll be great. And we'll, we'll, we'll stop and we'll pray. And we'll have hope because we're a people of hope that things can change and we can change and through the grace of God life can change and and then we walk away and we never see him again 
It never happens. They don't come back. And you call them up, same thing. Oh, just busy. Not doing well. Just busy. And what usually happens, it's this, this time of shame that, that the enemy uses over and over and over again. You've confessed this in front of your pastor, and so now every time you come to church, your pastor knows what you did. Just a little newsflash. I forget a lot of things. Yeah. That's my life, right? But that's what happens. And so then your, your brain is looking for any way out. And unfortunately, this is one of the part, hard parts of being a pastor, is that uh, somehow, some way, it's twisted to come around back on us. So we just have to sit. We say, God, please, would you, would you act? Would you move? Would you bring about restoration in this situation? Would you do anything? Would you do something? God, help them as they walk through this time. Anticipate resistance. It will happen, but remember that God is with you. Remember when you step on that new path and God's called you to that new thing that he will equip you and empower you to go through resistance, to do what God's called you to do. He will never call you to do something that you can't do and he will not empower you to do. So we cling all the tighter. We hear Paul and he says, I know the Holy Spirit tells me that I will, will face this resistance. And he does over and over and over again. There's always somebody trying to kill him. But he clings all the tighter to his mission and to his Savior. So when we're on the path following the Holy Spirit step by step, we, we, we see and experience the Holy Spirit's prompting. We, we, we see and we experience the undeniable uncertainty and we anticipate resistance when we step out in faith. And the last part of this, this process is we come to this place that Paul has come to in our passage where we have this uncommon confidence. Verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Yet Paul has this strange and uncommon confidence that, that, that what really matters, he's come to this place because he's lived this pattern over and over again. Some of us have come to this place because we've lived this pattern over and over again, to know and to understand that life is not about me. Life is not about me. We want to save our lives, we lose it. Life is not about me. There's a false gospel, false narrative that life is about following your dreams. That's a great bumper sticker, right? Life is not about following your dreams. That's awesome. That's great that you get to do stuff that God's empowered you to do. But at the core of it, it's not about me. It's about following and living for Jesus. I'm going to give up. When it comes down to it, I'm going to give up the good things so that I can, can hold on to and grasp the best thing. Right? I'm going to give up all the me stuff so that I can have the, the Jesus stuff because that's what leads to life and life Truly. So Paul's here. He's traveling to Jerusalem and he's, he's, he's going and stopping in a bunch of different places. He's, he's sailing. Uh, and then there's this prophet that comes up to him and his name is Agabus. Next, that's a great name. You should name your next kid Agabus. All right? I would love that. 
this, this prophet comes to him. So imagine the Holy Spirit's movement in, in, in this prophet's life. He says he's led by the Holy Spirit. He walks up to Paul. And I imagine this. He awkwardly takes Paul's belt off. And it says he binds his hands and his feet with his own belt. And he says, this is basically, he says, this is what's going to happen when you go to Jerusalem. All right, so imagine, I hope the Holy Spirit didn't call you to do that. That's weird, right? But imagine that feeling that, that somebody comes up to you and they, and they do this and say, this is what's going to happen to you. And so it says that all the people around him were, were in shock. At verse, uh, chapter, Acts chapter 21, verse 12 through 14, it says, When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem, like stay away. And then Paul answered, he says this, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and we said, the Lord's will be done. Right? It's only after they tried and they pleaded and they did all this stuff. Please don't go. This is what's going to happen to you. Please don't go. This is, this is not going to be a good outcome for you. They do all that. And then they come to finally come to Paul's desired outcome anyways. It took them a little bit, a little bit to get there. This is what Paul is, is absolutely saying with his life. The Lord's will be done. It's not about me. Paul has this uncommon confidence that I will even dare die to share the good news of Jesus. That my life is yours. That whatever you want to bring about, whatever path you lead me down, you want me to awkwardly go and tie some dude up, I'll do it, Right? You want, you want me to go over here? Do you want me to, to speak a word of grace and kindness to my neighbor? I'll, I'll do it. I don't really like my neighbor, but I'll do it. Right? You want, me to, you want me to live in Mountain Home for the rest of my life? I'll do it. Wherever I am, I'll, I'll serve you. You want me to move across the country or move across the world to serve you? Wherever, I'll just do it because my life is not about me. It's about you. I, I, you come to this place where you have this uncommon confidence that whatever God leads you to, it's going to be all right because you are God's and he is yours. We build this, this faith. We build this, this life, not by just one great big decision, but by many, many little ones that all wrap up into one. If I walk through this process where I'm prompted and I say yes, and it's awkward, and I go and write a note, or I go and, and shake a hand, and, and then I come to this place, and I don't know what's going to happen, and, and, then, and then I face resistance, but God is with me through that resistance. And so I know that God is with me there, and then I move to this place over and over again that God is faithful. And then two months down the road, I come to again, the Holy Spirit's prompting me. And so I say yes. And so I do the, do the thing again and it's uncertain and I don't know what, what's going on and why would you have me do that? But I know that, that, that you are good. And so I'll step into it. And then I come to this place of resistance, but God is with me. And so I'm more trusting. And then I get to this place where I have this confidence that God is good. I do it over and over and over again. And I live this life. And I give Jesus everything. And, and when I come to an intersection where I realize I went the, the wrong path, I ask for God's direction. Would you move me from this place where I am and, and turn away from the sin so I might follow you? Because who I'm becoming is not who you desire me to be. I want to be who you want me to be. 
It's this process. We come to the end of our life. And people gather. And they may cry because it's sad. But they say, man, that lady lived for Jesus. Oh man, that lady loved Jesus, or that guy, that, that's what he, what he did. He invested in, in my life, and I will never be the same because he spoke that word to me, or, or he, he, he walked alongside of me in this, or he gave me $50 to go on a mission trip, and it wasn't much for him, but it was God's movement in his life. And, and so I see that. I recognize that investment. I recognize that fingerprint. I recognize that pattern that, that God is shaping us, calling us into God's direction, shaping us to who God desires for us to come. Come to a place of uncommon confidence that God is with us, that God's direction is best. Holy Spirit prompts undeniable uncertainty. We anticipate resistance and we cling to Jesus. We come to a place knowing that God is good. As the band comes this morning to lead us in song, we want to we come as God's people and pause again uh, today. Maybe a couple weeks ago, you were, or last week, you were in a place where you knew that things weren't right, and so you asked God to bring about repentance in your life so you might go a different way. And thanks be to God for that. Maybe some of us or maybe you are in this place where you just have this feeling or this this guiding from the Holy Spirit that that just keeps coming up over and over and over again and you don't know what it is, but you're here and you're present and you say, God, if you're leading me into something new, if your Holy Spirit's prompting me, I will go. I will will do, I will say yes because I want your direction in my life. I want to become who you want me to become, not who I think I should become. And so I'll say yes today. May we create space this morning. May that be on our minds and our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit and we thank you that you um, have done some heart work here today. Maybe restoring and, and bringing back some uh, broken pieces that we've been holding on to. And we thank you for your direction and for uh, your leading in our lives. And we ask, Lord, today that you would compel us to follow you. That you would uh, stir our hearts to follow wherever you lead us. May you remind us that, that we will come to places where we can't figure it all out. We'll be in a, in a place where uh, we don't know how it's going to all played out. We are uncertain. Or may we trust in you. Or when we come to places where we will, without a doubt, face resistance, where the enemy uh, attacks and, and, and seeks to steal and kill and, and destroy us, rather than closing off and running on our own, may we be open to you. May we cling to you in in absolute desperation, knowing that you are present. And Lord, we pray for each and every one of us today, that through this process, through this time and practice over and over again, you lead us to a place of uncommon confidence, that we would know that you are good, and because you are good, we would do absolutely anything. God, call us to this place. Shape us 
to be who you desire for us to be. We love you. We thank you for your love and grace for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand for the benediction, the blessing as we go today. God's children, God's beloved, may you go from this place and seek God's direction for your life. May you go and become the who that God desires for you to be. Go in action and go in peace. You are dismissed.